you better get out now. Uh, and you know what? Tonight I'm going to be talking to married people, but if you're single, just put it on the back burner. Remember what you heard. And uh, so, Kathy, what are you going to be talking about? Women and stress. Well, I'm sure not teaching on that. All right. You go right ahead.
position of um, the team because they, you know, they are in this position of leadership, leading the congregational worship and praise, which is a high honor and a high calling. And so uh, I'm going to ask Lisa Fleming. I caught her at the last minute. She came up with um, something that I don't know if she got it at work or where. This is, now, this is so practical. This, this one isn't spiritual at all. This is practical. But it helps, and we talk about it every once in a while among the choir and the praise team. And so, Lisa, just show us what we do. This is what you practice in the mirror, ladies, before you go to the dressing room. You don't do this. Yeah, when you're in the dressing room at the store buying what you're looking to buy. And then uh, at home before you go out. Work or anything. Okay, so you raise your hands over your head because where you see, right, see where the shirt is and see where the dress is, and then you, yeah, you do this. Yes, and then there's the rearview mirror. Yeah, <laughs> a whole other meaning to the uh, to the book, the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. <laughs> The word there that Jeff has already talked about to you is the quad, and I'll remind you the definition of that is uh, to the quad someone is to arouse sexual feelings that cannot be righteously fulfilled. And again, I think sometimes when I've had women say to me, that's not my problem, and we talk about that that might be difficult for a man. If you are a woman and you are married, have married, or have ever dated a man, how many of you can raise your hand and testify that the men are visually aware of what's going on around them. Have you ever been in a restaurant and realized all of a sudden that I have lost the man, it doesn't have to be a husband, the man across the table from your attention. If you look around and see a beautiful woman, you see what has caught their attention. If they're very visually, and that's the way God made them, and that's great. But uh, when it came out that Jeff was going to start this series, we, we had some comments and some emails and one that came from a gentleman said, I hope that you will mention how women in the church should dress. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but those low-cut tops are quite a distraction for me at church. I try to pray and worship, but it's hard for me to concentrate. I wish they would cover up a bit more. They don't always need to advertise that God has blessed them with. And I think that's really <laughs> 
Amen. <laughs> very, very good. Very good. Oh, she did good. Give her one more hand. Amen. That's good. Um, I'm going to pick up right where she left off, and let me just talk to you tonight. I'm not going to be able to finish up, and next Wednesday uh, we will be gone. But let me, uh, let me just begin. I'm going to deal tonight with what women wish men knew. Let's, um, let's read this verse. I'm going to get you to stand with me. This is Hebrews, and it'll give us the, the actual uh, chapter and verse at the end. But notice what it says. Um, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, Wait a minute, you should have stopped right after that. No, I think these two are connected. All right? Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Amen. Father, thank you for your word tonight and what the word we've already heard. And bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. You can be seated. Now, I'm not going to really uh, focus on this, but I do find it interesting that right following his talk about the marriage bed, uh, the writer addresses money. And it's interesting that God puts money and the marriage bed in this verse side by side. Uh, now, I think this is because most counselors today would tell you that money and sexual relations are at the top of what causes trouble in marriages. Virtually, I would say 90% of marriage troubles are money and sex. All right, now, let's, let's just go on. Sex is not a blush topic for God. That's why we ought to be able to teach on it in purity and not be worried about it. Because God doesn't blush about it. God made it. All right? He talks about sex throughout his word. If you don't think that's true, grab the Song of Solomon and get a living Bible or a message Bible and read it. And it might make you blush. Now, it's, uh, we've seen in this series that God would have us understand that sex is not a bad word. Isn't it tragic? Christians have made it so. Uh, it's not a bad word. Most of you are here because of it. Instead, 
Sex is a gift from God himself. It's a gift from God. Now, Satan did not create your sexuality. God did. God made you a sexual person. Now, here's the second thing I want us to remember, just in recapping a little bit what we've gone over the last few weeks. God gave us sex as a gift. And since God gives the gift, God also makes the ground rules for the gift's use. And if you get anything out of this series, I hope you get that. That since God made it, he gives the ground rules for it. Okay? Throughout his word, God makes it clear that sex is meant to be actualized, read it with me, within marriage. Outside of marriage, sexual relationships are sinful. Plain and simple. Now, you may not like that. You may want to rebel against it. You may want to just say, well, you know what? I like a lot of what Jesus said, but I believe I'll uh, reject that part. Go right ahead. But I'm going to tell you, if you reject that, you've rejected God's will for your life. And 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that if we reject that, we've actually rejected God. Now, I know that's strong words, but like I told you last week, I'm the FedEx man. I'm just a delivery boy. I'm just reading to you what it said. And this is what it says. And uh, believe me, let God be true and every man a liar. Uh, our culture is giving us a message that is deeply, deeply troubling. Our culture right now is deeply confused, especially in this sexual arena, deeply confused. So, as we shared last week, when all else fails, follow directions. Get the direction book. And the direction book is very clear. So, outside of marriage, sexual relationships are sinful. And they will destroy. Now, here's the third thing. It is a fact that sex, being one of God's good gifts, can be and is corrupted by the devil. Your sexuality, your sexual life, has already been targeted by the devil. Every single member of the American community has been targeted by the devil in the arena of their sexuality. Guarantee you, it's a vicious war. And that's why you're going to have to make up your mind what your manual for sex is. Is it going to be something that some secular organization gives you and tells you you can do what you want, live like you want, and there's no consequences? Or are you going to take this as your sexual manual? And believe me, it's your call. I can't make you do it. God can't make you do it, but there will be consequences either way. Now, when, when uh, it is corrupted by the devil, sex turns into lust. And lust, then, is the devil's misuse of God's good gift. That's what lust is. Now, here's the fourth thing. Sex was meant by God to be more than procreative. It was intended also to be pleasurable. And Victorian... The Victorian era, era uh, taught us that sex was for procreation. And this was the message in Christianity. And it's just completely bizarre and wrong. Again, go home and read Song of Solomon. Read it in a, in a paraphrase. And uh, so let me just give you an example here. When Abraham and Sarah were old and childless, God assured them that they would yet have a son. Now I want you to look at what Sarah said when she was 90. She said, after I have become age, shall I have what, everybody? 
Shall I have pleasure and delight, my husband being old also? Sarah saw sex as pleasurable. Sarah, and she's the mother of your faith. Smile at me, everybody. Y'all are acting all subdued. I'm just reading you the Bible. So get off the, the hang-up thing about, you know, it's not to be pleasurable. It's wrong if you think it's pleasurable. Uh, that's not in the Bible. Now, the church, more than ever, needs to truthfully relate God's Word to today's believers on this topic, and not just to the church, but to the world. Then they will grasp, you, me, the beauty and the power available in the sanctified sexual relationship of a husband and wife. Now, Max Lucado writes these words, quote, God desires to make you one with your spouse, and sex is one of his tools. Don't overrate it like society does. Don't ignore it like religion has done. Just appreciate it. Now, I think that's a good word of balance. You don't overly glorify it. You don't underglorify it. You appreciate it. It's a gift from God. Now, some keys to sexuality within marriage. I, I want to deal with, with a few. First, from the woman's point of view, what wives wish their husbands knew? Now, I want all of you married people separate by a chair because I don't want the husband's sides bruised in the next 30 minutes by elbows poking them. All right? Now, uh, I grabbed the title of this book because there's a real message in that title. Sex Begins in the Kitchen. What this means is that sex is totally connected to the entire relationship. Totally. Not just the bedroom. The Bible knows this. And the Bible teaches this. And the Bible gives crucial wisdom to husbands. And husbands and future husbands of America, I want you to perk up and listen now. Because here's the wisdom of the, of the Bible. First, Scripture says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I read that every wedding I do. Every wedding I perform, I read that, quote that verse. And, I can, and, and of course, the people I'm marrying, they don't hear a word I'm saying. Their, their hearts are pounding, and they're wishing I'd hurry up, and sometimes they're sweating, and sometimes they faint. And so they're not really catching this. Uh, I had one faint and roll down the stairs. We had to just kind of... Pick, pick them up and keep going. But now, um, we hear that, but what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Here's what I think is the essence of what that verse means. How did Jesus love the church? We call it the great condescension. And here's what it was. He came down out of his world into our world. Now, when he says, husbands, love your wives. Now, here's, here's what I've noticed about Paul's. And, and Paul was single, man. That's how I know he was moved on by the Holy Spirit. Because only somebody married could have known this. But here's the deal. I've noticed that when Paul in Ephesians, for example, Ephesians 5, when he's always addressing husbands and wives so much, he tends to encourage them to be strong where they are normally weak where they are weak by nature, weak by virtue of their gender, by virtue of the makeup of their gender. And I think here he's telling men, love your wives as Christ loved the church because one of the hardest things for us to do is come out of our world 
into her world because men are very business-focused, very task-oriented, very driven to succeed and make their mark in the world. And so when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, there's no question in my mind that this is the essence of it. How did Jesus love us? He came down out of his world into ours. He condescended. You want to know when the wives are impressed? They're impressed when we leave our world. And like the Son of God, we enter into their world, their sphere, their interests, and actually get involved. Actually get involved. Now, I'm chief of sinners here. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't naturally do this. I'm a visionary. I'm very, very driven um, towards ministry. Very. Matter of fact, I'm not near as bad as I used to be, and I'm still pretty bad. Um, everything was all about what God was going to do, what I wanted to see God do, where I wanted to go in God, and it's so easy, guys, for us to get focused on what's out there and lose sight of the woman at home. Now, I want you to listen carefully. That's what she needs. You can amen me anytime, Kathy. At the right times. Now, husbands, your wife wants you to take an interest in her life. To become a sounding board that she can bounce things off of as she thinks out loud. You know, I go home, I don't want to talk. I want to just sit and stew, look at something, forget, uh, chill, uh, get the pressure of the day off of me. But when I walk in, she's got 100 questions about what happened that day. And I've noticed something. She wants to hear what happened in my day. I want to be given eight hours of chilling before I want to talk about it. So I have, we, we have to meet a compromise. I've learned to answer her in real short, brief sentences, but get it out. Here's what happened. We did this, we did this, we did this, and we did this. And we talk about it because she's been home. I've been out. She wants to know what the day held because she wants to be a part of my life. And see, guys, you've got to make them feel like they're a part of your life, not like they're just something you married way back there to have the kids and keep the house and take care of you. One pastor said to a group of husbands, if we're going to feed and care for our wives as Christ does the church, we're going to have to get down off of our high horses, step out of our world of career or self-importance, step out of our world of sports, and enter into the world of our, li our, our wives and nurture them and fill their soul. She may have a coronary if you turn the TV on mute during a football game. There's, there's, there's ways that you've got to make them feel like they're a part of your life. That's what Jesus did. How many of you can say, today Jesus took care of something that mattered to me? Well, he's out there. He's in heaven. He's sitting out at the right-hand throne of God. All the universe is at his beck and call. And yet, think about it, he condescended still. And he served you today. He listened to you when you talked to him. He was there when you prayed to him. He gave you peace when you were troubled. He comforted you. He fed you. He spoke to you out of his word. He was to you a good husband. Because you are his bride. Husbands, 
Love your wives as Christ loves his church. Look what it says. Paul says, uh, he goes on talking to the, the husbands in Ephesians 5. And he says, quote, and Jesus gave himself for her, gave himself for her, his bride, the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now, I read that at every wedding, but I want you to catch what this is really saying. Now, watch this. Notice, marriage is not a forum for the man to get what he wants. That is not what it is. Matter of fact, if you want to get rid of selfishness really quick at an accelerated rate, get married. Because you can't be married and be selfish. That dog won't hunt. Okay? He says, He says, Jesus gave himself for her. All right? Now, it's a context for the husband. Marriage is a context for the husband to give of himself for the betterment of his wife. Now, when I go to heaven, I'm going to answer for you. I'm going to answer for how I taught you. But I'm also going to answer for how I taught her. My primary sheep is there. Right there. And if I don't take care of her, i got no business taking care of you. And because guess what, guys? Here is a heavy word. Jesus ministered to the bride, gave himself for her so he could present her to God, blameless, without spot. I don't know. I've wondered sometimes if every husband is not going to have to present his wife or at least answer for how he took care of his wife spiritually. That's why every couple I marry, I look at the man, and this is when he sweats. I say, right now, you have a new calling falling on you this moment. You're not going to be the same when you walk away. Because as soon as you say, I do, you've been anointed and appointed to lead your home spiritually. And if you don't lead your home spiritually, you're failing as a husband because you're the head of the home. That doesn't mean you're the master of the home as in everybody else is your slave. It means you're the chief spiritual leader. And if you don't lead your home your home is going to suffer, and you're going to answer to God for it. I've had a couple of them walk away right then. I'm kidding. They wanted to. They told me later, hey, man, that was pretty heavy. I said, hey, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> Jesus gave himself for his bride, the church. Guys, I want, to, I want you to take it seriously. You ought to be leading your, ho- your household in Bible study. You ought to be leading them in prayer. I'm not saying you've got to gather everybody around and teach the Bible, but let them see you. Let them find. The other day, my daughter came over, and I was in the bedroom praying. And she said, where's Dad? And Kathy said, oh, he's in there praying. And she said that Julia just lit up, and you could see it rolling around in her head, that that impacted her, that Dad was in the room praying, seeking God. And when I pray in our room, you can hear me. It goes out there. And so that blessed me because I want my children to remember that I was in prayer. See, you've got to lead, guys. You've got to lead. God's called you to lead. Don't make your wife lead the family to church. Don't make your wife uh, be the only one that talks to the kids about God. You lead. You lead. The anointing is on you. The appointing is on you. They need to see it. I'm not condemning you. I'm encouraging you. Okay? 
Now this goes, Jesus gave himself for his bride. This goes straight to the heart of the issue of selfishness in marriage. There is no room for it. Marriage and selfishness don't mix. Selfishness will destroy a marriage quicker than almost anything. If you're going into the marriage for what you can get out of it, that marriage has already got trouble marked over the doorpost. We're called to serve one another in marriage, not take from one another. Okay? Marriage is made up of two good forgivers. If you're not a good forgiver, do not get married. Don't do it. Don't do it. Remember I told you that. And notice the last few words of Paul to the men. He says, quote, that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her, the church. How? How does he sanctify and cleanse her? With the washing of the word. The word communicated washes the soul. I'm washing your soul right now with the word of God. Okay? Now, this speaks to the need for men to communicate with their wives in a way that builds them up. When Jesus talks to you, does he tear you down? When Jesus talks to you, does he say, way to go, stupid? Does he? We know who says that, don't we? When Jesus talks to you, does he say, man, what a loser. You're a loser. What, did I, what was I doing creating you? You just mess up and mess up and mess up. Man, I wish I could go back and undo you. Does he ever say anything like that? No, he says you're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessed in the storehouse and blessed in the field, blessed in your going out and blessed in your coming in. You're more than a conqueror through him who loved you. You are the apple of his eye, the darling of his heart. He loves you. And all he says to you ever is things that build you up. Is that right? And we know who tears us down, don't we? Diabolos, the adversary, the accuser. He's the only one that does it. Now, Jesus sanctified and cleansed his bride by communicating with her words that edify. To a woman, positive communication is the key to sex. Guys, mark it down. Guys could really care less about communication. Can I tell you the truth about guys? If they're in the mood, they don't care what you're saying or not saying. They're stirred by sight and hormones. Now, that's just the way they made us. It's not running guys down. If God didn't make guys that way, there'd never be any marriage. Nobody would ever pursue. But God made them that way. All right? So they're stirred by sight, just what Kathy was sharing. They're stirred by sight. That's the way we are wired. We're stirred by sight. That's why I tell you, when Adam saw Eve, that's where whoa, man, came from. Boy, y'all are a tough group tonight. Maybe we can drop back and punt here in a minute. Listen. I think when he saw Eve, he said, thank you, God. All right, now, here's a fact. Wives wish their husbands would communicate and take a genuine interest in them and not reduce everything to sight. And, well, I'm in the mood, so let's go. Good communication, remember this, good communication builds a road towards the bedroom. I'm going to have to aim myself tonight. I think these are really quotable quotes. I wrote that. I mean, I wrote that. 
Now, I want you to remember that, guys. And you listening by radio, our friends that listen on 91.7 FM, uh, good communication is what builds a road to the bedroom. I want you to remember that. She wants communication. You are wired for sight. She's wired for emotion, for communication, for talk, for affection. Now, this is why Peter wrote these words, quote, In the same way, you husbands, you must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with what? Everybody say it with me, men. Knowledge as you live together. Well, what knowledge is Peter talking about? Peter was married. What knowledge is he talking about? He's talking about the kind of knowledge we're talking about right now. You've got to know there's a difference between men and women. We men tend to think that they think like we do. They don't think like we do. The kind of knowledge we're talking about is understanding that there are huge differences between men and women. And you've got to understand the woman gravitates to emotion, to conversation, to affection. Here's a good word of advice. In communicating, when you're talking to the woman, your wife, choose your words carefully and communicate with an attitude that honors rather than demeans. I'm going to tell you something to you single folks. If you're seeing somebody who talks mean to you, you better be really careful. You better mark that as a, as a sign from God. Listen, the song said it right. My mama told me, you better shop around. I mean, you, you know how to find good fruit in a supermarket, but you're terrible with men or women. And I'm telling you, you got to get smart with it. If they talk to you a little bit mean when you're dating, they'll talk to you real mean after you're married. If they don't want to go to church before you're married, they're not going after, but I'll just change him. Let me tell you something. Earth to you. You're not going to change them. What they are when you're dating is the best you're ever going to see. I mean, that's when they're pulling out the roses and the cars and the sweet words. They're trying to get you. If they look bad, then... Hello? You better think that thing through. I'm saving you a whole bunch of money. I mean, this is free. You can go to a psychologist when everything's falling apart. And he's going to tell you, well, you know what? Hey, hindsight is great, but I like foresight. And that's where this Bible comes in. This, is good. this Bible will tell you what's going to happen before it does. And, that's, and especially when you're headed towards marriage. You better, you better look at the merchandise and listen to the merchandise and watch the merchandise. You know what, in, in communicating, if you don't choose words that, that build her up and don't demean her, don't expect your wife to be interested in sex at bedtime when she's faced criticism, fault-finding, and harsh language all day long. She's not there. You know why? Because sex begins in the kitchen.
Amen. Pastor Jeff, preach it now. <laughs> oh, boy. And all the little relational stuff, and all the little relational stuff that happens throughout the entire day, that's where it starts. With the woman. God wants us to understand both the seriousness and the joy of sex. He also wants us to understand the importance of communication in sex. Josh McDowell wrote these words. He said, the chief dysfunction in failing marriages is not sexual, it's verbal. Every time. When the verbal shuts down, the sex shuts down. When communication shuts down, the sex shuts down. One marriage counselor tells the story of how the, the men in his small group learned that just doing simple chores scores big points. Go empty the trash. Rake the leaves. <laughs> oh, you guys, some of you guys are mad at me right now. I can tell. I, you're looking at me like, you should have warned me about this before I came tonight. I just sent her alone. There are just a, these are just a few of the many things that spell out the difference between men and women. I did. And how they view sex. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> now she caught that. Yeah, wives also wish that their husbands would cuddle with no strings attached. You don't have an ulterior motive. When you're walking to your car after church, hold her hand. Or when you pass her in the hallway, give her a hug with no intent to lead into something. <laughs> Women want to be held. And it's not a cue for you to try and take it to the next level, Romeo, <laughs> John Wayne. <laughs> oh, boy. These are, these are just a few of the many things that spell the difference between men and women and how they view sex. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold back from the next part till I get back, what husbands wish their wives could figure out. So, guys, I didn't forsake you tonight. It's only temporary because it's their turn next time. And, ladies, you better be here, all right? Let's stand together, can we? <clears throat> Gosh. Oh, hey, Jeff McLeod, are you listening? Uh, you're going to have to edit this one. I'm talking to my radio producer. I'm just kidding. You know, we need to hear about these things, and I have no problem teaching this stuff. I really don't. Uh, we need to hear this, don't we? Because how many of you know, just because you're saved, <clears throat> just because you're saved doesn't mean you're wise. Save men and women do stupid things all the time. And no kidding. So we need wisdom here. We need wisdom here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for all that we've heard tonight. Thank you for the washing of water by the word. Give us the wisdom. Lord, to avoid the pitfalls in the most important relationship of all. We pray for wisdom. We pray you forgive us, Lord, for being so unwise, so 
uninformed sometimes. Help us to choose your word as our sex manual, marriage manual, friendship manual, as well as our salvation manual. In Jesus' name. Now, will you breathe a prayer right now? And maybe...